0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the PropSwap podcast. We are your hosts, Ian Epstein and Luke Pergandy. And we are also the founders of PropSwap, the first marketplace to buy and sell sports bets. Thank you so much for joining us this week. We've got a, another great episode for you. Uh, we are joined by professional sports bettor, uh long time prop swap customer and, and someone we're lucky enough to call a friend, Zach price. Uh, he is with us right now and we will hop right into it. Zach, thank you so much for joining us this week.
1: Yeah. So great to be here guys. And you know, I'm also a prop swap podcast listener. I listen to, you know, all the podcasts. I think it's one of the best out there. So I appreciate you guys having me on the show.
0: Oh, uh, well, we appreciate those, those words. I know you listen, you, uh, you listen to a lot of different, uh, sports podcasts out there. So, uh, we uh, we appreciate that. So um, I mean, another thing we we have in common too is uh, we all have uh, some Chicago uh, Midwest roots. Um, and I know uh, Zach, you're currently wearing what is that a, a vintage Chicago Bears shirt? I know you were at the Bulls Nuggets game over the weekend. What what's the what's the story behind that shirt?
1: Yeah, I mean, for for those of you watching this and not listening to it, I'll just give you a little preview of the Chicago Bears 1985 Super Bowl. Uh, butterfly collar shirt that I picked up at a thrift store, which, uh, you know, I take a picture of these thrift store purchases and I send them out to see if it's a yay or a nay. So I send it out to a couple ladies and they were like, nay. And, and I sent it out to Ian, my Chicago guy, and he gave me the three fire emojis. So I said, <laughs> I'm buying it and I'm wearing it out of the store and I'm wearing it to the Bulls game tonight that, that
0: night. And so I did. Value yeah. in uh,
2: apparel and value in sports betting. I tell you.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, look, I, I'm I'm a I'm a fan of vintage sports stuff as well. I'm wearing uh, a, a throwback White Sox hat, uh, and Denver also I think has some really great uh, some uh, great vintage finds. Um, and then Luke, you're you're also wearing an Arizona hat, not vintage, but uh, big big weekend, uh, big win over the weekend for uh, for the Wildcats. Yeah,
2: first time in program history, three straight weeks of ranked wins. So, yes, gigantic win against UCLA, uh, knock off the ranked Bruins. So uh, they're on a hot streak. Did not start the season very well, but they uh, they got hot at the right time here entering November.
0: Well, you know, um, as someone, you know, I, I've been following the, the team as well. I mean, our losses were overtime, you know, at Mississippi State, uh, a touchdown loss against Washington, which is a, a top 10 team, and then a triple overtime loss at USC. I mean, th- those are our, the Arizona's three, three losses. Um, but I feel like that, that record though is, is due to the uh, the strength of the PAC 12, right? Cause it's not every year that you're going to get to face three ranked, uh, three ranked teams in the, in the PAC 12. Um, the Wildcats will be in Boulder this weekend and I will be uh, attending that game. So, um, yeah, good, uh, good stuff all around for Arizona. Maybe not so much for the bulls, uh, this, this year, but, uh, enough about, uh, our, our sports teams, um, Zach, uh, obviously a lot to get into, uh, before we get into the, the sports betting piece and the, and, and, you know, your history using prop swap, I thought we would just talk about, um, kind of your, your background and history with marketplaces. Cause I thought that was when I first met you a very interesting thing and it made sense as to why you were so, uh, accustomed to using something like prop swap. Um, why don't you tell, tell us about some of the, the history you have, uh, when it comes to, uh, to marketplaces,
1: yeah, Ian, I mean, you know, when when I first found out about PropSwap, it was like, you know, the greatest thing I had ever thought about in sports betting. And I can tell you from a young child, if you want to go way back, when I was 10 or 11 years old, I was collecting baseball cards. And, you know, I wanted to produce my own card show, uh, memorabilia show. So what I did is I put together two sides of the marketplace. I, you know, got a bunch of dealers who had merchandise to sell, and I sold them tables at a, uh, at my high school gym. And I found a bunch of Collectors that wanted to come and buy merchandise. And so I advertised and brought in all these uh, collectors. And so I put together the dealers and the collectors, all of my high school gym. As a kid, my mom drove me to the gym and, you know, helped me set it up. But yeah, I mean, that was my first experience with the two sided marketplace. And then we can fast forward to, you know, I went to the University of Michigan. And after I graduated, I just couldn't believe the demand for football tickets on campus and of course use textbooks. Um, and this is before iPhones and before, you know, mobile marketplaces. Yeah. So, so
0: um, just, 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 a uh, back up a second. So you were, you were like, what, uh, a, a young teenager and you know, some, some, most kids, the, the, they're the ones doing the collecting, but you were, you know, you were like a young teenager and you were like, no, I don't want to just do collect. I want to like, match the buyers uh, you know the collectors and the and the sellers ian
1: teenager i was 11 man when i was 10 i was you know when i was nine i was a collector so everyone knows the 1989 ken griffey jr upper deck so i was nine years old if you want to figure out how, how old i am you can get out your calculator <laughs> and uh when i was 10 i started selling cards at card shows um i started selling my collection because i'm a big seller of things and i'm not afraid to sell something at its peak and we can talk about that later but when I was 11, yeah, I said, well, well I'm selling and, you know, I, I know a lot of people that are buying and I know how to reach the buyers through Beckett, Mar- you know, magazine. And and um, so, yeah, I, I decided that why not just own the whole damn thing and get the dealers to sell and get the buyer, you know, the collectors to buy and kind of put them together in one central location so they could just interact in a market.
0: Awesome. Um, and then, yeah, as you mentioned, uh, you, you started a marketplace for Michigan textbooks, uh, you know, when Luke and I were in college, there was, there was, a, a couple of websites that, that, that did that. And, and, um, you know, some, some big ones at that, but then also just Michigan football tickets, um, and, uh, you know, matching, you know, obviously this was probably, this was pre StubHub um, and, and all that stuff, uh, as, as well. But, um, all right, so that I think that's a good primer into your history behind marketplaces, but let's let's kind of move more into your to your sports betting um kind of uh history and background. Uh you know, first and foremost, how did you get into sports betting and and when did when do you think it really kind of started to take off for you?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, it's just like I always wanted to figure out how to turn sports into a business. As you can tell, from when I was nine and ten years old, buying sports cars like Jacks and shoulder pads, Ken Griffey Jr. upper decks, and watching an increase in value, and then unloading the the product for a, for a profit. And so you could say I started right then and there. But the truth is, is you know when Tiger Woods hit the scene in golf, and I was a competitive golfer at the time, um, I just couldn't believe my eyes of what this guy could do with with the golf ball and and competitively against his competitors. And so I started betting Tiger Woods to win tournaments. And it turns out that was like an ATM machine. And, you know, I think when I first realized I have a future in this was the 2001 Masters. That that also was the end of the Tiger Slam. I figured out a way to um, make a correlated parlay with an offshore book. And um, it turns out that I took Tiger Woods to win the Masters and I took Tiger Woods for to, for his next major win to be the Masters. And they let me parlay it. Um, so I got four to one odds and four to one odds on both of those parlayed at 16 to one odds. I put everything in my piggy bank on it. Remember, I wasn't even 21 at this time. Um, so I, I put $1,000 on it and it would have paid $16,000. And Tiger Woods won, except the sports book after he won, realized that it was a correlated parlay and they avoided one of the legs. So they ended up paying me four to one on that. I was very upset and um i got you know i was never allowed to bet there again so that was my first endeavor as a real true professional sports better that was 2001 yep
2: so it's been for you know the new entrance to legal sports betting it's been a cat and mouse game forever i tell people all the time like it's the the rules can be difficult to navigate when the sports book can just cut you off so this is not just uh you know, FanDuel, DraftKings, usual legal regulated market. This has been going on for two decades. I think they call it the European model. So um, <laughs>
1: it's been going on for, for a long time. And um, I did learn a lesson that day. And, um, but, you know, I've, I, I just continuously believe that there is a way to turn a profit in this industry, whether it's, you know, finding a correlated parlay or modeling out or, or understanding golf in the master's um and how correlated that is to the golfers each year um there is a way to turn a profit in this industry if you if you have the time and the effort to do it
0: so it sounds like you you kind of got your start in sports betting out of your love you know for and passion for tiger uh you 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 finally kind of got hooked when uh you know you you thought you hit that correlated parlay uh but at what point do you think you maybe started you know uh you know, using some strategy that, that was outside of just, you know, hey, I love this golfer and, and I can maybe get, you know, and I can correlate these two two things together. When did you really kind of start like crunching the numbers and and spreading your bets around to things that maybe, you know, you didn't have as much of a love for?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And so, so in 2018, um, a friend of mine and I, um, he's a Yale mathematician and um, I'm the better. And so, and he loves basketball. So we combined to make an NBA model uh, for props, and in 2018 there was no online sports book. so I was going out to Las Vegas where you were, Ian, and we were, you know, having lunch together at the Westgate Superbook, and the Superbook was one of the only places that would have props on the major players. So it would be LeBron and Joel Embiid and Damian Lillard, and 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 all there was was like points props. Um, but I also found a website out there. Some of you guys might remember it listening to the podcast called Five Dimes, and they had props on everything. And so we would sync up our model with five dimes and find where there was ROI on the prop for that night. And then I would take a look at those props and use my knowledge of the NBA and the coaches strategies and who played last night, um, to then, you know, bet in Vegas, maybe on one side and at five dimes on the other, maybe hit a little middle in there or some risk-free ARBs. And so again, like that was when I was using the markets to find profits and it was very profitable
0: um and uh and so yeah so it was it was less so you know um betting one side but more so in terms of finding gaps in the market where uh you know two different sports books would have numbers that were completely different from each other and and you were less concerned about you know making you know uh you know either winning a lot or possibly losing. And you were, you were more so concerned with like, how can I guarantee myself uh, a profit no matter what? And I'm perfectly happy with ta- with taking a small guaranteed profit, you know, with the arbitrage uh, or the middling versus, you know, let me let me try and make, you know, uh, you know, a couple a couple thousand dollars real quick, but it also could end up, you know, losing you some money too. Yeah.
1: Right. I think the best entrepreneurs and the best gamblers are actually the best at mitigating risk. So you look at us as risk takers, but the truth is we want to mitigate risk as much as possible. And so that's what I did. And I was taking risks. Um, I was betting, you know, LeBron's over under and and things such as that, but that was based on, you know, deep statistical analysis. So I was placing my smaller bets on those things. And then obviously when I found an arbitrage, I was betting as much as I can on either side. When I found a a middle with maybe like a 5% juice, um, but I thought had a 22% chance of hitting i would bet you know pretty heavily on both sides and take my medicine on the five percent when it loses and hitting the middle more often than i you know it, it it would provide a profit for me
0: yeah and and i'm sure your you know your numbers with along with your math guy are probably telling you um that you that if, if you could find a middle that was going to be right around the number you guys projected then you know i'm sure maybe there's you were hitting more more middles than than one would uh would assume but um but all right, so now we 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 make we make it to 2018 or, or thereabouts and and uh you you come across PropSwap myself and Luke. Um how did PropSwap change uh your your sports betting strategy at that point?
1: Yeah, so I'll never forget it. Um I think I I forget exactly when or how I heard about PropSwap, but I know that I was in Vegas betting the Masters, the 2018 Masters. Patrick Reed was the winner that year. And I had a bet on VJ Singh. I think it was like a thousand to one at the super book. Let's call it. And I did not think VJ Singh was going to win this tournament, but I was like a thousand to one. The guy won it in two thousand. Like you know, um, he he seems to play very well here. He's got a great swing. Like thousand to one's insane. And so I made let's call it you know a twenty dollar bet. And um, sure enough, day one, VJ Singh shoots like three under, and he's in eleventh place. And I got Luke's number somehow. And I texted him, Hey, I got a BJ sing, you know, to pays $20,000 and he's, you know, one back or two back. How much is this ticket is worth? And he told me that it was worth maybe $170. And I thought to myself, man, this is for me because I find value on golfers that are, you know, golf is the best sport to bet. If, if you want long shots, everyone's a long shot. I mean, John, Ron favorite to win the masters will be 12 to one odds. So and i thought to myself you know i i know where the value is in these golfers and these golf tournaments and certain courses but the chance of hitting a winner is so small and a lot of these guys actually have no chance of winning but the odds are just so great and so that opened up my eyes to a different way of betting and once i found out that i could sell my bets to other people on prop swap based on the value of the bet and not necessarily if it was going to win or not i started betting more on the players that were long shots. And I started betting on more golfers because I was just finding a lot of value everywhere, especially comparing odds from different books and futures and golf. There's a lot of value out there. And so that first opened my eyes was betting golf.
2: Yeah. And not to mention at that point, you know, to make a hedge on a VJ position after the first round, nearly impossible. I mean, you got to bet on 30 other golfers to properly hedge. And even that, if you bet on those thirty other golfers, you still may, you know, not bet on uh, the guy that eventually wins on Sunday. So it's it's not a perfect scenario. The only way to lock in profit after the first round is is to sell it. Hundred yeah. percent.
1: The only you cannot hedge golf unless you're you're in a one on one you know Sunday matchup. There's just no way to do it. The only way to capture that value on a long shot playing well is to cash out, which they certainly didn't have then. And nowadays cash out ain't the best way to, to get your money out. Um, the best way is to sell it to another person on PropSwap for market value, or maybe even a little worse than market value.
0: Yeah. Um, and you know, I, I, and I do want to stress and, and, and we'll, we'll kind of touch back on this a little bit. Like you, you've sold plenty of winners too, uh, over, over the years as well. Right. I mean, there's, there is, um, us like, you know, a part, uh, some psychology that we've we've run into with with some you know customers where um the 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 idea that they could sell a ticket that ends up winning would be almost it's it's a worse feeling than if they were to not sell a ticket that loses. But from the get go, you had absolutely no problem being like, look, I'm gonna make this, you know, hundred and fifty percent, you know, whatever ROI. And if it wins, great. That that means that buyer will come back and probably buy more tickets from me, but I'm not gonna like stress that I that I, you know, um sold a winner.
1: That's exactly right. There's um, an economic yeah. term for this and I I'm drawing a blank <laughs> on that.
0: But loss
1: aversion and it's well and it's also um and, and they did a study on this at Cameron Indoor when you own something you value it more than what it's worth so you know I know we don't have a lot of time here to go through that but it the, the the folks at Duke that camped out uh at Cameron Indoor for tickets um some people got the tickets and some people didn't And they asked the students who got the tickets you know how much would you sell your ticket for and they said oh I would never you know like And they asked the students who didn't get the tickets, how much would you buy the tickets for? And they said, oh, I don't know, $250. And so that ownership, okay, you guys out there listening to this, you're in fantasy leagues. Like, you know, the guy who has Nikola Jokic right now won't trade him for anything. Wembenyana, they won't trade him right now. But the truth is there's a market value on everything. And the way I see it as an economist and someone who's studied the markets is I want to sell when my ticket is worth the most, and I will sell it at market price or a little bit higher, even if that ticket is high. And so um I have no problem selling a winner. And I have no problem, you know, selling at the market price. If it's high and someone just had a monster game, or a golfer just had a great round, or an NFL team, you know, as we're in NFL season, you know, like the Ravens just won 37 to 3. I'm like, yeah, I'll sell that at the at the odds of the market. No problem.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah, that I, I theory believe it's called, a- is
2: called possession.
0: Yeah, uh, it's called yeah possession bias, um, and uh, similar similar to the Duke that Duke story you just told. There's a great Business Insider video uh, where someone does the same thing with uh with uh, lottery tickets, you know Powerball uh, tickets, where someone paid a dollar for it. They walk out the store. Someone's like, "I'll give you five bucks for that ticket." They're like, "No way! This this ticket's gonna be worth you know three hundred million dollars in in about twenty four hours. Just just you wait." Um, but Moving back towards the, uh, the sports betting, the other thing that I was always very impressed by because you did become you know one of our top sellers and especially our our number one golf seller uh, in in quick order but another thing I was impressed by was how you you would research these courses and you would figure out like um and you know, and start times and figure out like uh you know who will do well on like the you know who like in the first seven holes first nine holes of of the tournament and then be selling you know after that as well so i thought i mean that was taking you know the selling to uh to a whole other uh level um but uh the other thing I wanted to talk about uh we moved towards um different sports was your two thousand twenty one uh, NFL season with the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, you know, for those who don't remember, this this was the season. Um, I believe it was Joe Burrow's second year in the league. Uh, Bengals were an absolute uh, crazy long shot. Uh, reached the Super Bowl, lost to the Rams, um, but all along the way, uh, you were making Bengals bets at sports books and then flipping them on on Prop Swap. I pulled a couple stats here. Um, this is specifically talking about Bengals Super Bowl futures. Uh, you had 33 sales, uh, $250,000 in total collect amounts. Um, you made a bunch of bets at 150 to one odds, uh, where you bet $66 to win $10,000, and you sold, uh, like I said, a lot of them ranging anywhere from $99 to $600, and then you also made a uh, a $500 free bet because I believe this is like you had just moved to uh, to Colorado at this point. You made a $500 free bet. At 50 to 1 odds and sold it for $1,400 after they beat the Raiders in the wild card round. Um, what was, you know, that was a, a crazy season for you. What was, what was kind of the, uh, the thinking behind all of that?
1: So, uh, you know, when you're betting long shots, you're always looking for upside volatility. And you're not going to get that with like, you know, a, a quarterback who's just like run of the mill or who's been in the league five, 10 years and we all know what to expect. Joe Burrow played in his rookie season. He did all right. He got injured at the end and he came into this new season. And it's kind of like what I would say we're dealing with Trevor Lawrence right now. Even CJ Stroud is like, how good is this guy going to be? And the Bengals, I even had some tickets at 200 to one, I remember on them. But yeah, the bulk of my tickets were 150 to one. And the Bengals were starting out of the gates. Not too bad. No one had seen this out of the Bengals for decades. I, as a Cleveland Browns fan, would know this. And so... They looked pretty good and they were winning some games. And so I just kept firing $66 at a time to win 10 grand, right? Just just kept firing, repeat bet, repeat bet, and um, just accumulating a monster $250,000 position um, in collect. And what am I going to do with this? I actually don't think the Bengals are going to win the Super Bowl. I don't even think they're going to get there. It turns out they did and they almost did win, but I was just buying Mm -hmm. on value. This team should be 35 to one. This team should be... You know, fifty to one, not hundred and fifty to one with this with this upside quarterback who's won at every level. And so yeah, when as the season went on as we got into the playoffs, I was just selling. I was selling and heading into the Super Bowl. I was selling just like you said before. You can sell winners. And if the Bengals are gonna win the Super Bowl this year, like God bless them, I'm gonna take 150 to one odds and I'm gonna sell it eventually down to like eight to one or five to one, whatever they were in the playoffs. And I'm gonna make, you know. 15, 20 times my money, whereas, you know, you can't, you, you could look at the board right now on NFL features and you, you would have to get a team at 15 to one and have them go all the way with no injuries and no upsets and win the super bowl to cash that ticket. I didn't even have to cash it. I just had to sell it.
0: And and so, um, you know, you've, you've given us some, some great pearls of wisdom, uh, already. Um, and so as we wrap up the, this interview, you know, if someone out there listening that, you know, They've they've sold a couple of tickets, but maybe they want to get more involved, or they haven't sold any tickets. Um, you know, are there any other you know pieces of advice you would give to someone out there who you know wants to start you know making bets and and and, sell, and selling them on PropSwap?
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't want to go all Steve Jobs on you right now, but like <laughs> when you grow up as wanting to be a sports better, you're told the industry is kind of the way it is, and you're just supposed to stay in your lane, bet the sports you know. If you want to be a sharp better bet a bunch of unders and underdogs um have a little fun make a little money you know do the promotions the boost the deposit matches for sure uh but that's a very limited outlook on sports betting in the industry and this industry can be so much more uh, once you discover one simple fact and that's that you know this industry was made up by the regulators and the lawmakers they don't understand the industry and they're no smarter than you are and you know this industry can be changed in you can influence it and you you could build your own things such as you guys at PropSwap, who have built PropSwap for other people to use and that changed my life uh, as a professional better the ability to then spread my bets around on long shots everywhere knowing that they didn't have to win i could just sell them and so i would advise bettors and aspiring bettors out there to take some long shots that you have a gut feeling on that you're not sure if it's going to win And, um, you know, take some NFL futures. Take some NBA futures on an Oklahoma City Thunder or a Sacramento Kings. You know, they probably won't win the NBA championship, but, man, they have a lot of upside. And if that upside hits and your gut instinct is right, you can cash in on that value by selling your ticket to somebody else who might also
2: see value in that team and thinking they could win it all. This is beautiful. For the audience, we did not pay Zach for this content, I assure you. But you've nailed the theory on selling on Prop Swap. So we appreciate how well you've learned the system so it seems like last question here before we get into our next segment it seems like you are more of a seller than a buyer on PropSwap. and if that's true why aren't you using the bidding function more often because you can get some killer deals by bidding on PropSwap, aka someone selling for a thousand you can bid 750 and see if that seller will accept or reject that low bid
1: Absolutely. So, um, as a, as a, you know, economist and market maker selling is my priority. However, I have purchased many great tickets on PropSwap and I consider PropSwap just another sports book. So when I'm comparing odds, I also want to look at PropSwap. Now it does take a lot of time to compare odds at every book and there are aggregators out there that will show you many books and they do not show PropSwap yet. And so, I believe that you have to have the time to be monitoring prop swap or getting alerts when new tickets go up um, and, and and surfing it and, you know, picking your sport NFL futures and looking at the market and just firing off bids. You guys know I will accept a bid as a seller, even if it's above market, I'll price my tickets high. And if someone comes in with a bid, I'm instantly accepting it. So um, I do think you should be adding prop swap as another
0: sports book to your arsenal. Totally, you know, uh, totally agree. And and Luke and I talk about that all the time in terms of uh, the uh, the bid, the bidding portion of it. Um, so yeah. So uh, as as a listener, uh, you know that uh, when we wrap up these interviews, we usually go into uh, our st- weekly stake or swap segment. But because we've got you here and and you're such a knowledgeable, better, um, and we want to talk some more MBA, would you mind uh, stick, sticking on with us?
1: Oh, it's my favorite part of the <laughs> show.
0: I would love right. to. All right. All right. Well, with that being said, it's time to get into a little steak or swap. First up, uh, we'll be talking a little about this in-season tournament. Uh, for those who uh, don't know, but maybe saw the, the courts, uh, the crazy uh, courts that they played on last week, uh, the NBA is starting something new this year with the in-season tournament. Uh, just kind of a brief breakdown, there are three groups uh, in the East and three groups in the West. The winner of each group, uh, which uh, these group games will play played during November, will advance to an eight-team uh, bracket. But then there will be two wildcard teams uh, as well. Uh, but we won't be talking necessarily about the, the winner right now. Uh, I want to talk about the in-season tournament MVP uh, and Luka Doncic uh, to win the MVP currently 50 to one at FanDuel. Um, I'm going to go first. I'm staking uh, Luca to win the the tournament MVP. Uh, Now the Mavs did lose to the Nuggets uh, last week in their first group play game. But uh, I mentioned that wild card thing. Um, The Mavs are playing great basketball right now. They're five and one on the season. um, And, you know obviously the nuggets are going to be the toughest team in that group but uh given the fact they played the pelicans the clippers um and then uh, another another the worst team uh, in the group um the i think they've got a serious shot to make as a wild card and you know luka's one of the top favorites to win mvp for the league and so um, and then also, I just think Mark Cuban, you know, just given his involvement, I feel like he wants the Mavs to, to win something. Uh, and I think he's a big supporter of this tournament. So, uh, for those reasons, I think the Mavs, uh, are a sneaky wildcard team. And then if they do make it, obviously Luca is capable of just taking a game over and, uh, and winning that MVP. So 50 to one, he's currently like 22 to one at MGM. Uh, so I think there's value there, Luca 50 to one to win the MVP, uh zach let's uh let's let's go to you next are you staking or swapping luca mvp i mean
1: can i stop the podcast and pull up my fan app to bet on <laughs> luca 50 to 1 because that sounds like great odds and you know the first thing i would say is what are the mavs odds to win the the, the tournament because i think the mvp is going to be um won by the person who uh the team who wins uh so luca Doncic, look this is this is not i i wrote a i do an email or a newsletter every week goes out to a million people and I took Luka Doncic, uh, I'm sorry, I took the Dallas Mavericks to win this in-season tournament. And so that was 22 to one. Um, I love Luka Doncic at 50 to one, because if they Mavericks win this tournament, he will win the MVP. There's no doubt about it. And he's going to put up as big a numbers as anybody in the league. And so maybe even if they don't win that tournament, yeah, he could still win that MVP.
2: I agree. I'll keep it brief. Uh I also would stake that. Obviously the only thing that we haven't mentioned is Kyrie Irving has some risk there if the Mavs do win and Kyrie goes off and Luca has a soft tournament. So that's the only risk there. But I agree. Fifty to one on a guy that is up for M V P year after year value there for sure.
0: Yep. Um and, and just to answer your question, uh Zach, uh Mavs are currently forty one to one to win the uh to win the in season tournament. So uh, you know, I think it's If the Mavs are going to win it, it's going to be very difficult for someone other than Luka to win the MVP. Um, And, you know, as we always talk about buy low, Mavs coming off that they're, you know, they lost their 0-1 in this tournament. So this is the time to make buy buy low on them. Um, next, uh, we will transition to, uh, something with a little more history, uh, which is the NBA championship. Uh, we know how this is going to go. Um, want to talk about the Memphis Grizzlies, uh, who are currently down, uh, their superstar for the first 25 games of the season, currently 70 to one to win the NBA finals at DraftKings. Uh, Luke, we will start with you first. Are you staking or swapping, uh, the Grizzlies?
2: Yeah, this was an interesting one. You know, we talked about doing our homework between book to book. And to me, this is just value on DraftKings, which is rare. FanDuel, more often than not, has a better price than DraftKings. But in this, this situation, Memphis Grizzlies are 70 to 1 to win the NBA Finals on DraftKings, but only 35 to 1 at FanDuel, so uh, I know I took it this morning, I posted someone props off already, John Moran is out for 25 total games so you're going to have to weather the storm until he comes back, but Desmond Bain putting up 27 in a game, Jaron Jackson 22 a game, and then of course they added Marcus Martin in the offseason, so um, value there, plus I think if they can weather the storm, that's a championship contender.
0: Uh, Zach, we'll go with you, are you staking or or swapping the uh, the Grizzlies? Yeah, this is a tricky one. So,
1: you know, the Grizzlies last year without Morant were actually phenomenal. I couldn't believe it. Uh, if, if we go back like two years ago too. Uh when Morant's been out, they've been terrific, which shocked me. However, they've started really slow this year. And um, I want to almost I'm, I'm going to swap them right now, but I'm going to keep my eye on them because if they get to 100 to 1, I do believe that there is value on Memphis. And here's why. They could get in as a 10 seed in the in play turn, you know, the play in tournament. And with John Moran in a full strength with the young guys that Luke mentioned, I think they will be one of the top teams in the West. And so I'm going to swap them now and wait for a better number right there.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm gonna agree with Zach uh, on on this one in the sense that I I think, you know, what we're, we're six game there, what we're six games or so into the season. So we've mm-hmm. got another 19 or so left to go without John Morant. And so uh, if, if they do keep on sliding, um, I think you could see, yeah, this thing hit triple digits. Um, but I, I agree that like they could, they would be a, like, that's the worst team you'd want to play. If you, you know, if they get like the, the seventh seed or whatever, and you know, you're, you, you've, that's the worst team you would want to play in the first round if, you, if you're a two seed. So, um, I'm going to swap them for now, just because I know we've got still like 19 more games left to go without Ja Morant, but once they get, to, but I would say not wait, all full 19 games, maybe wait another 10 or so games, uh, and then see if you can pick up a, a, a better number because, um, I don't think that maybe we will see some sort of, uh, crazy hot streak between now and, and when jaw comes back. Um, all right, and then uh, before we wrap it up, uh, want to talk a little rookie of the year. Obviously, one of the biggest stories so far in this young NBA season is uh, Victor Wembanyama, um, but it, who's like the current? He's a minus money favorite to win rookie of the year. But flying a little under the radar is Chet Holmgren, uh, who is, you know he did not play any games last year, uh, so this is his rookie campaign. Currently, five and a half to one to win rookie of the year over at Bet MGM. Uh, Mr. Price, we will go. We will start with you. Are you staking or swapping? Um, Chet,
1: I got to stop the podcast again if he's plus 550. Okay, so I'm, I'm staking Chet, I'm staking, I'm, I'm going all in on Chet Holmgren. And here's why the guy can do it all he can dribble, he can pass, he can shoot, and man, can he play defense and block shots. But here's the other thing. He just spent a year traveling with the Thunder, being with the guys, watching the teams from the bench, going, staying in the hotels, learning the cities. This guy's ready to play right now, and his team is probably the most exciting team in the NBA, if you ask me, and they have the most upside. And so if they make the playoffs and he's doing what he's already been doing, which is scoring close to 20 a game and seven, eight rebounds and three block shots and a steal... Um, I think not only can he win Rookie of the Year, but he can win Defensive Player of the Year. Now, Wemby is is a talent like we've never seen. And I think the Spurs and Coach Popovich are going to protect that. And I don't think Wemby's going to play the last month or two of the year. In fact, I think he could get injured at any moment. And so I'm going to stake Chet Holmgren now and kind of just wait and see what happens with Wemby if he does get shut down, if he does get injured. They're going to be cautious with this guy for the future. He's 19 years old. I'm all in on Chet Holmgren, Rookie of the Year.
0: Um, I'm, I'm going to, I will buy, or sorry, I, I'm i going to stake Chet, uh, as well now. And, and this is, I, I would say this is more so based off of an injury risk, uh, with Wemby or to your point that he may shut him down at a certain point versus the thunder, which are, are, you know, could be one of the you know top teams in the West. Um, the, the one thing that does scare me is the. Awards are voted on by humans, right, uh, versus, you know, the winner of a, of a conference or the championship. And so actually I looked this up. Uh, the number of nationally televised games for the Spurs versus the Thunder. The Spurs actually have 19 19- Uh, nationally televised games versus the Thunder have 13. So we are going to get more Spurs games this year um, than we will the Thunder games. And people are, it's, you know, you can't not watch Wemby when you watch a Spurs game uh, and then versus the Thunder, which have a ton of uh, great talent. Now I realize I'm kind of making a case more for Wemby, but again, the man, he's, he's, he scares me every time he, he runs up and down the floor. And I feel like if he takes one tumble, uh, yeah, he could be shut down because the Spurs do not want to risk their franchise player uh, just to win some reward. That That's not kind of the, the campaign they he runs. So um, Chet's great. Uh, five and a half to one is great. Uh, and, you know, you just never know about injury. So uh, for those reasons, I will stake uh, grim as well. All right, last up, Um, I am going to swap Chad Holmgren
2: to win Ricky of the Year. Two quick reasons. One, I actually think he can win Defensive Player of the Year, and so there's value there. He's like 30 to 1 to win Defensive Player of the Year, Chad Holmgren is, so a ton of value there. And then kind of alluding to what Ian was saying, we see this all the time with NFL MVP that these voters are so biased. A- there's a ton of recency bias, meaning if you have a good second half of the season versus the first half of the season, you have a, a higher likelihood of winning because it's humans voting. They just remember what they just saw recently versus what they saw at the beginning of the season. And I honestly think this is a little bit of conspiracy theory that they want an international guy to win this award. And of course, one is is France. some friend, So I just feel like these voters, these individual human voters are too biased. So I would just swap Chet and I would be staking one B.
1: And let me just let me just interject here for one second cuz Luke brought it up too. If you guys want to buy Chet Holmgren defensive player of the year, I will sell above market because I was <laughs> scooping that up at 80 to 1 before wow. the season, 80 to 1, and I've got a lot of tickets. So go on prop swap, look up Chet Holmgren defensive player of the year. I guarantee you the market maker, which is my username, has some for
0: sale above market. I'm going right now. But, yeah, there you go. And, and I remember you uh you posted something on uh, we uh, on Twitter about that uh, as well. So, um yeah, I mean, that does bring up a good point uh, in terms of can you win two awards, but um, but yeah, uh, I know you've been big on Chet all season long, whether Defensive Player of the Year or Rookie of the Year, um, but the season's young, but it's already been exciting. I'm sure there'll be more uh, action to come. Uh, Zach, thank you so much for uh, for t- some taking some time out of your day to join us. Uh, we really uh, enjoyed it, and I think the uh, the listeners will as well.
1: Appreciate being on, guys, and oh, by the way, I have sold one Defensive Player of the Year for Chet I'm on Prop <laughs> Swap already, so Proof of concept right there. Thanks a lot, guys,
0: for having me. All right. Thanks, Zach. Take care.